Hello everyone, good afternoon. BC here once again with BC Moto on another exciting edition of Tech Tuesday. Thank you so much for joining us. Hello Ryan, good to see you joining us this afternoon. Let's give people a few moments to join us here this lovely and a little cool afternoon. I'm actually wearing a jacket today. It's a little cool here in the facility. And um, hello Invictus, thank you for joining us. And for those of you on YouTube, thank you so much for joining us. For those of you who listen to the podcast, Thank you once again. This session is pretty much an environment where we have people writing to us onto the BC Motor Instagram feed, ask questions about tech, our projects or whatnot, and we answer them and answer also some questions live. Thank you so much, Miggy. Thanks for the, for the kind words. So as you see me refer to people, for all of you on Anchor and iTunes and the podcast and for those of you on YouTube, I'm referring to the individuals the enthusiasts interacting with me here on Instagram Live this Tuesday morning or afternoon. Hello, Axe. Thank you so much for joining us. Love you as well, Alfred. Thank you so much. Pus Kaliux. Thank you so much. Yep, that's my slat nose. That thing is a very nice original slat nose. I value that vehicle so much. The only modification on that is a BC Motor Pulse Chamber system. Apart from that, it is purely factory, which is pretty cool. Hello, Loopy. Good seeing you. And of course, today I have my wonderful assistant, Ari, with me here today. Hello. You hear her voice, and she will be asking a bunch of questions you guys have sent in. I haven't had a chance to review them, but I will do my best and get into each and every one of them while also answering some of your questions live. But before I get into that, something really exciting happened to me this morning. You know, we have a great relationship from the, uh, with the guys from Mattel. And Mattel has been very kind to us in creating a lot of Hot Wheels of the Odyssey of civics and so on and so forth, and I love blue. Look at this. A blue one just came in a blue Civic Type R, now available, and you know I'm in a good mood today, so why don't we give this out to one of you today to win. I'll ask a question at the end of this session, and if you answer properly, you'll get this very first one that came to my facility. So I just got it this morning, which I'm pretty excited about. So before that, hello Ricky, good seeing you. Thanks for joining us. Hello the King. Um, thank you for joining us this afternoon. Thank you very much, Fox. You're very kind. And Fox, thanks you so much for the questions. Um, if I were to get another 911, I'm really, really curious about the 991s. I haven't had an opportunity to play with the water-cooled 991s, and that's something I'd like to explore very soon, because I, just looking at the engine as I went to McKenna portion not too long ago at the, um, and one of the bays in service, it looks like there's a lot of potential there. So I'd like to be able to play around with the new water-cooled 991 turbo. That would be so fantastic. And Speaking of turbos, that's a great segue. Thank you so much. Hello, JCS. Into this. See this? This is a very simple, Ariana brought this for me to take a look at. It's a very simple valve spring, and the valve spring is very overlooked. It's extremely important in any type of engine design, especially when it comes to ICEs, or we call internal combustion engines. And many of us tend to do a lot of boosts. You see the new t-shirt I have? Let me know what you guys think. There's a prototype, something I may bring to market. Um, but Think about this valve spring and what it does. It has the daunting task of having to deal with valve turn dynamics, deal with weight, heat, motion in one way and reverse motion in the other. And then when you add boost, it has an additional variable of having to deal with the dynamics of keeping the valve in check with boost hitting the back of the valve. So one of the first things that anyone should do when upgrading their NA setup to a boost application is to add, add a minimum change and upgrade their valve springs. Thank you so much, Ricky. So that being said, and we, we have great deals on these. I think we have them for like 159 or 179. Very, very cost effective for a set of 16 for those of you who are into inline four engines. 
It's a, something that you should really pay attention to and do not overlook it. You know what happens if you use factory springs that are a little bit annealed or old? You tend to float. And when you float valves, not only do you lose power, in the worst case scenario, you can drop a valve. And that is catastrophic for your engine. So, big weds. I'd love to build a decent Audi 4000, but I'd love to also get uh, Audi involved with a project like that. Hello, Dennis. Dennis, I'll call you later on. Um, I have some oil coming in for you later this week. So, you'll cover on the 530, okay? Um, and Mark 5, Andrew, I have so many, so many bits of advice when it comes to what we should do in terms of uh, boost and what we should do to do that. Hello, Robert, good to see you. Hello, Hedy, thanks for joining us. Um, I build cars mostly for OEMs and large companies, and we also build for privateers from time to time as well, you know? Sounds good. Hello, Sam. Sam, good to see you. I have to call you as well. We have a lot to talk about. Um, Time to get down to business. There's some really good things happening. AJ, from across the pond. Thank you, Pat. Hello, Jeremiah. Hope you're enjoying the Civic. Hello, DJ. Hello, Supercard. Wow, so many of you today. This is fantastic. Thank you so much. Yes, I've had a lot of experience with 1.8 TS's, T's, 1.8 T's, and designing components. Hello, Jay. Hello. Okay, so, one thing about Ariana that I love so much is that she gives me the crazy look when it's time to answer questions. So she's giving me that look. I can feel the heat. So let's get to some of your questions. Hello, Jersey representing. Good seeing you. Hello, Lawson. Hello, Papa Huang. So, Ari, what do we have today in terms of our questions? We have a question from Gary Hearn. Gary Hearn, okay. His question is, I'm looking to build an F or an H22 all-motor on pump gas to kill climb. What engine modifications and compressions would you advise? I would like around 250 bhp at wheels. Okay, so 250 horsepower to the wheels. Um, or they're about on the F22A, which gives you so much potential. The H22 I love as well in factory form, but when you start modifying it heavily, you tend to get some limitations because of the valve angles. Not that it's a bad engine or valve bad head, but because of the geometry of the valves themselves, you can go too crazy with camshafts, and that limits you significantly. You start having some valve-to-valve -valve interference. So once again, factory to factory, I really like the H22 engines. But when it comes to the high mods, and that's one of my doors back there for my insight, I love F22A engines. They have so much potential, and you can run as much as 600 lift camshafts. So now, since you're playing around with something hill climbing, you're playing with elevation, compression is your friend. So we do have access, which we do sell on the web store, a 12 to 1 compression piston set with rings, pistons, locks, you name it. And it's less than $500. And that would give you a very nice opportunity to create good, reliable power and take advantage of the horsepower and you know, nice heat that higher compression generates. But you have to compound that or combine that with a very, you know, I would say, efficient camshaft. So here's what you need to do. 250 to the wheels. You can upgrade your rods or at a minimum go with ARP bolts, go with the 12 to 1 compression pins we have, a BC model level 2, an H23 intake manifold, increase your injector size to about at least 450, play around with some E85, get a proper engine management, a proper header, and that's it. It is that simple to make 250 to the wheels with an F22A using those components. And if you really want to do it a little bit easier, oh, valve springs as well, but if you want to do it a little bit easier, definitely put your head, and you get there much easier than not. So that being said, I hope that answers your question properly. Good luck, and keep us posted. Um, well, Victor's asking, how's the Rubystone build going behind me? This is awesome. I love this. Our friends from Action were kind enough to provide a bespoke uh, clutch for it. So we're going to install that, I think, sometime later this week, or worst case, later next week. 
And after that, you're going to see tons of videos. So it's coming on very nicely. The biggest hang-up we had was a clutch assembly, a street-friendly clutch assembly for the Quave sequential gearbox. So thank you so much. My pleasure, Gary, and thanks for the question. I really appreciate that. You know? Well, we'd be more than happy to assist you, Andrew. Thank you so much. Okay, what else do we have, Ari? Next question from Basil Design. Basil Design. I don't know if he's here, but he's very active on our feet. So thank you so much. He wants to know, uh, see, often we see rear mounting turbos on Corvettes. Right. Why do they do so? The, and can front mounting turbos be done on a 911 and would be efficient to do so? Okay, so, so to answer his question, he wanted to, Basil, hey, there he is. So you want to know, Basil, about um, rear mounted turbos on Corvettes. A lot of them do that for ease, um, even though it's quite a bit distant, and it does introduce a lot of lag. Some of them do that because of the constraints in the engine bay. You can't put a decent-sized turbo in anything, especially the C6s with a bit of a challenge in C5s. So that's why they do it. There are companies that out there that make their whole business around having remote-mounted turbos as far back as possible. Under the guise of better weight distribution, but really it's kind of inefficient. On turbo 911s or to turbocharge a 911, to put in the front is kind of counterproductive because once again you're introducing more inefficiencies. I have seen, even in-house, as beautiful as it is to place turbos down here in the back of a 911, when you have a very short runner, you have an opportunity to have a lot quicker spool, which lends itself very nicely. But when, it's, when you come to high horsepower applications, like what I have here, we have a very long tube header made of Schedule 10 that goes to each turbo, and it gives us very nice high-end power where we're robbing Peter to pay Paul. So I'm sacrificing a little bit of spool for a lot of nice top-end power. So that's by design. But as you may see with Corvette stuff, they only have a long pipe from the exhaust feeding into the turbine. So that's a little bit inefficient. Um, it's for ease. And then you have to pump all your back, pump all your front, you have to do something with intercoolers. It's, it's kind of inefficient. So I know one company in particular that makes a great job at that, but with the Porsches, it's really by design, by engineering design. In my case, for top-end power, we have a 996 Turbo that's on the lift right now, and that has very short runners because this customer does a lot of, hill, you know, a lot of uh, canyon carving, and low-end power is very important to him. So that's the reason why. Hello from the Bay Area. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for the kind words on the Netflix show. We had a good time doing that. Um, thank you so much. Um, if you have a question, yes, so White Raliat, you can ask here. Typically, what I'm doing is getting to all the questions that were submitted on the BC Model feed prior to this interaction. So... As Ari is kind enough to ask all the questions, when we get to all the questions, I'll be more than happy to answer some of the ones you have live. My pleasure, Basile. Thank you very much for asking that question or set of questions. So what else do we have, Ari? Uh, we have a question from AJ Thompson. AJ! Is AJ here? I hope you are. He wants to know, apart from building, from, sorry, apart from the builds you have done for, for OE manufacturers, have you built any custom bespoke engines for regular customers from scratch? So from scratch, uh, AJ, no, because it's a very time-consuming and expensive process. Um, most privateers don't want to bear the expense of, of bespoke engines from scratch. Many of them would like to use a factory casting that's already there and building accordingly. Most of that we would do for customers, maybe a custom piston set, custom camshafts, and in a rare case, uh, custom valve train components. But to do an engine from scratch, that's usually reserved for the OEMs and the budgets that allow them to do that. Oh, he's here. Hello, AJ. Good to mm -hmm. see you. Thank you. Hello, greetings from Quebec. I love Canada. Even though I was on the other side, I was in uh, Toronto. But nonetheless, I had a great time out there. It's very, very nice people indeed. Thank you so much. Um, for the IM, I don't have anything for the IM, but we do quite a bit designed for some of the older drag race Toyotas. So you think of the 3TC and some even the SR20 DETs, you name it, we have components for those, but nothing for the new ones yet. 
That tends to come if we have a relationship with the uh, manufacturer, which right now we have a small relationship with TRD, but not with Toyota proper. So I hope that answers your question properly. Hello from Manchester. Good to see you over here. Thank you for joining us. Okay, what else do we have, Ari? We have a question from Gavin W151. Gavin W151. Can you talk about the repairing intermix problem on the Porsche M96 engine? Yes, I can. So the M96 engine guys are from what you would see in the first gen Boxster, first gen water cooled Carrera. So any Boxster from 97 to about 2005 or 2004, 2005, um, and for the Carrera 911 um, non-turbo from 1999 to a similar time frame. So these engines was Porsche's attempt to walk away from the air-cooled engines due to noise challenges, emissions, and so on and so forth, and increased efficiency, which they did a great job with port design, four-valve engines, but those engines sometimes, as many engines as we've seen, as we played around with a great vast majority of them out here, um, have some uh, inefficiencies or opportunity areas, I would say. So, the M96 is very, very frowned upon by many enthusiasts in the Porsche world because even though a small percentage of them have challenges with IMS bearings and maybe even rear main seal issues, it's not a majority of them. But some companies have done a great job in creating businesses around scaring everyone to upgrade their components. But Let's talk about something that we've had experience with. Let's say the Honda B-Series engine, okay? So many of you here are very familiar with that engine. And the Honda B-Series, of course, if you want to make big power with it, you definitely want to sleeve it or you'll crash your sleeve. Or let's take a step further to a K24. When you start pushing things with very aggressive camshafts, many times the factory tensioner is not good enough. You upgrade your tensioner. Now, bear those two examples in mind. The same thing happens with the Flak 6 M96 engine from Porsche. There are opportunities where two major things happen. I should say, take that step back. Three major things happen with Intermix. One, you have a problem with the, the air oil separator, which is more of a glorified heat exchanger or oil cooler. That sits on top of the engine on the left bank, and that particular device tends to fracture after some time. So because of that, you make it intermix between your oil and your water. But that doesn't happen very common. The newer heat exchange designs are superior and people tend to change and upgrade those after a few miles, so no problem. Secondly, if the car overheats, please stop. Some enthusiasts keep driving their cars even with overheating and what they end up doing, they fracture one of the heads. When you fracture the head, you get an, in an intermix issue, of course. Last but not least, there's something called de-chunking. It happens on many different engines, but just the design of the castings for the Porsche M96 engine lends itself to de-chunking, and there has not been really any straightforward explanation to why it happens on some engines or whatnot. It could be porosity in casting, just could be just luck of the draw. But you have a deep part chunk off the top of a sleeve. And it can happen without warning. But that's not very commonplace. So that causes an intermix as well. So what happens when we build and race M96 engines? We address all of those issues. We use a bespoke IMS bearing upgrade. We sleeve the blocks to one of our partners, and that allows us the opportunity, same thing we've done in many other marquee worlds, whether it's Honda, Hyundai, Toyota, Ford. We sleeve the blocks and reinforce all the shortcomings so you can have a great opportunity with driving it, which is pretty nice. Um, 188SX asks, saw my Odyssey on fastest car and interested as to if I'll convert the van to an all-wheel drive setup? No, I will not. So as many of you may not know, um, the minivan, which is right here to the side of me, is a project that we built for corporate Honda in 2013. So 
That's one of the project cards that we built for the OEMs. We build as part of our business repertoire here. Bidding cards for OEMs for not only um, opportunities in FEMA, but also major auto shows as well. We had seven weeks to build that Odyssey van. And within that seven weeks, to be able to do what we did with it, have a ton of, um, of individual parts designed and manufactured without much of any aftermarket support, it was very challenging. And all to do that in seven weeks. So that's very difficult. So what you may have seen on the show is not really a pure, I would say, example of what the car is capable of doing. As you may know, it was a streetcar shootout versus exotics, and I take full responsibility about this. I spoke about that last week on my Tech Tuesday. I obeyed the rules, and the rules were to run street tires and pump gas. So we 85 from the pump, we're able to satisfy that, but I really ran street tires and got to the event, and my competitors were running slicks. That vehicle on slicks is a monster, but on street tires, you saw what happened. We, rate, we lay rubber the entire track. One guy here, I think one of you said uh, about my launch was really poor. Well, my reaction time was awesome as a drag racer with lots of background, but 1,000 horsepower, even with boost per gear on street tires, you see the results. Rubber laid the entire quarter mile. The only time you saw a gap in rubber is when I shifted, which is pretty interesting. So I hope that answers your question. I take full responsibility for that. And that being said, in the future, when I have an opportunity to race like that, I will take multiple sets of tires. And then we'll see what happens. So thanks for your support, guys, and for uh, all of your enjoyment of that show. I had a great time filming it. The guys from Netflix were fantastic, and also from the casting and filming company, great people. I met some great friends there, which is really nice. Why I went with Odyssey? I didn't have a choice. So the studio chooses what car they want as a sleeper, and this is the perfect sleeper. What better sleeper than a minivan? I have a lot of cars here, but the minivan is something you would never expect to have any power or even go anywhere. So. That's why I think it was a very, very good choice for the network. And once again, I'm not the one to go and cheat and run slicks when I was told to run street tires. I obey. I take heed to all the instructions given to me. And you know what? It's cool. I had a good time. So that being said, Ari, what other questions do we have? Our next question is from... How are we doing with the cameras? Is everything okay? Oh, yeah, we're good. Okay. Um, Fox Design wants to know, what's all that banging and construction going on? Ah. <laughs> Are you adding another lift and dyno room? So I'm not adding another lift or dyno room. I'm not doing that at all um, in terms of the noise you hear here. There's something, you know, we're in California, of course, and from time to time we get seismic activity, which is a challenge. So that being said, we had to have some reinforcements done to the building to reinforce in case of a seismic activity event here. So it keeps things safe, keeps my client's car safe and my car safe as well. So what you heard was the attempt of reinforcing the walls and the structure here for better seismic activity resilience. So I hope that helps. You know? um, did I race another time off camera when on fat? No, we did not. But what you saw was real time first once and that was it. Jay, please help. I don't know what you're saying. It's kind of hard to answer questions, Jay, while you're asking. So tell you what, hold on to that question. When Ari's done with some of the questions that people wrote in with, I'll definitely get back to you. So hang tight. I promise to get to everyone who wrote in. So I'll get there very soon. Hang tight, okay? Don't be discouraged. Plus, there's a gift here. At the end, I'm going to, you know, ask a question and send this to you, which is pretty nice. Okay, so what else do we have, Ari? We have a question from YZ Kicks. YZ Kicks. Wants to know, is it possible to get a list of the parts from top to bottom from the D16V6 making over 700 horsepower? Okay, so he's asking about 
the Bissimoto Wago van that made 724 horsepower. He wants a list from beginning to end. And that was another opportunity where I was participating in a kickoff or like a competition. And once again, I obeyed the rules because it's supposed to be a competition that had to do with the most reliable horsepower period power shootout. So I chose an NA setup because we're going to have a test from peak horsepower to peak torque for 30 minutes straight. So imagine building an engine that has to withstand a torture test for 30 minutes from peak horsepower to peak torque. So I built an NA F22A, made 350 horsepower on pump fuel. My other competitors built full drag engines and the test was never done. The torture test was never done. They just put us on dyno and wrecked us because they wanted us to, hello Pablo Rubin, good to see you. Because they wanted to not blow anyone's engine up. That was what the magazine said to us. But once again, I felt really sad. We came in, I think, fifth out of seven different shops. But I did better than Cosworth and another V8 shop, which is really prestigious, and I was very proud of that. But we didn't come in first, even though our engine was built to be very robust and to, I knew everyone else was going to blow up and that our stuff would stay very, very strong. Well, long story short, that became the genesis of the Wago van because I wanted to prove that, oh, if you want to do turbocharging, now we can do turbocharging and show you how to do it. What's up? Hello, Junie. Good seeing you. Thank you for the camera. Where's Jay? So that being said, the Wago van came to life. And what I did is I pretty much took my NA experience and pressurized it. So I built the Wago van engine similar to an NA setup that I tend to love and then I pressurize it with a decent sized turbo. So to go over the parts list, Tron Piston 91, 76 millimeter. Golden Eagle sleeves, BC Motor rods, BC Motor springs and retainers, BC Motor level 3.6 camshaft, head by port flow, Golden Eagle intake manifold, 1300cc injectors, an AEM fuel pump with also a booster pump set up to give a little bit more fuel, a Turbonetics 6566 turbo, which they've improved on since then, a custom intake manifold, a 70mm throttle body, and I want to be some other head gaskets. Let's see, what else is ideal? I used Purell, um, Purell Break-In 30 to break it in. And then I finished off with uh, a 10W40 Purell Elite as a fill. And that was it. That was pretty much it. Very simple, straightforward setup. I had it on pump 91 with water methanol because E85 wasn't prominent at the time. This was like in the mid-2000s. If I were to do it again now, I would upgrade to a larger pump. And I definitely would run E85. So that is, in a nutshell, from top to bottom, the list of components that I had in my car, in addition to a beast motor camp gear. That is the components I had for the Beastmore wagon. Very straightforward, and it made 700. My goal was 600 horsepower, but we pushed it to 41 psi, and it made 724, which is great. So I'm very excited and very pleased about that. So that being said, guys, thank you so much for that question. I really appreciate the input. Okay, so what else do we have, Ari? Next question from AJ Thompson. AJ Thompson. What is the limit of the factory long block on the engine in the 996 turbo? At that okay. power level, how long would it last in comparison to a standard unmodified engine in miles? Okay, so that being said, AJ, to answer your question about the 996 Turbo, which, by the way, is one of the most underrated supercars out there. You can get them from anywhere from mid-30s to mid-40s. So much car for the price, and in that price range, my goodness, you get all-wheel drive. You get an engine that has a potential of 700 horsepower factory. You have the opportunity to have a gearbox that's so robust and very difficult to break. It's so much car. Wonderful. And a Metzger engine. So unlike the M96 I spoke about earlier, it gives you the opportunity to have 
the background technology and history of a Metzger engine that was an air-cooled engine, but with all the advantages of a water-cooled setup with four valves. So it's fantastic. So we have tested that engine to 700 horsepower, no challenges. When you start pushing past that, the first thing to go, AJ, are the rods. The rods start bending. So if you plan on getting to 650 plus, I would highly advise you to open the engine up and at a minimum change your pistons and rods. If you're going to exist under that horsepower level, you can comfortably, with just a clutch upgrade, drive an i 6 twin turbo for as long as you can physically with a proper tune. And that's not a challenge whatsoever. It's a great setup. And we have one on the lift here, and that's the same thing we do with the customer. We're upgrading the turbos because the factory one tends to max out about 500 horsepower. And that's really, really pushing it. You start pushing hot air. But with turbo upgrades and intercooler upgrades, injector upgrades, and a flash or an engine management solution like the AM Infinity, you are there. You can definitely make 700 horsepower. It's fantastic, which is nice. Okay. Where's Gary? Gary, Gary, another question for you. One. Thank you. Given you design and build a lot of one off parts for unsupported engines, okay. what considerations do you make when designing a set of camshafts for an engine that is going from NA to forced induction? Is there a method to get optimum power or just trial and error? There is a method. So, years ago, uh, to answer your question, sir, it was a lot of try and error. And with that try and error for me, at least I did a lot of documentation. Fast forward to today, I know what it takes. I can give you one hint, it starts with the head. So the first thing you do, especially with an engine that you have no input on, you pull the head off and you flow it. AJ, you know this very well, right? So you take it, you flow the head, and give you a perfect example. Let's say your head flows 300 CFM at 25 inches of depression. But at 350, lift, the flow falls off rapidly. There is no need to put a camshaft that's much longer than that in terms of lift or even spend a much duration there because when you do that, you start getting to valve tune dynamics and making things more difficult, reducing the reliability significantly, so on and so forth. Now, at the same 300 CFM engine at a certain depression, at a certain lift, if you look at the area on the curve and you see areas where the flow increases dramatically, let's say at 200 lift, you're at, ah, that was a good number, let's say 250 CFM. And then you quickly get to 275 at 280 lift. You want to put as much duration in that 280 area as possible. Therefore, taking advantage of that door opening. And what do I mean by door opening? Your valve is nothing but a glorified door opening to a room. That room being your combustion chamber. You open the door very wide is the lift, and you open the door, open the, having the door open for a long period of time is your duration. So if you have an opportunity where that flow is very significant at a certain door opening, you want to keep that open as long as possible. Turbocharging loves air. Now, here's where it gets tricky. Lobe separation. We can do a whole hour on that alone. But giving you, once again, another good hint without spilling too much of the beans, the wider lobe separation, the better off it is for your turbocharged application and supercharged application. For nitro-aspirated applications, you want to kind of close that window a little bit and have a little bit less, sometimes a lot less, depending on compression, lobe separation indeed. So I hope that helps you. And what we do to design, it has to do with the head, both NA and also boosted applications with more emphasis paid into lobe separation when it comes to the boosted apps. Hope that helps. The wheels on my EF wagon were some custom BC motor wheels by our friends at Spinworks. They're no longer around. And they were 15 by 8 with a 5-inch backspacing. Oh, no, no. 
Five inches was like, tried off of it. It got as low as three and a half, I believe. It's been such a while. I'm great, Paco. How are you? Hope everything is well. Thank you so much. See, if I'm on an M96, it depends what depression. It went as high, if my memory serves me correctly, it's been a long time since I flowed that. I think we got as high as 324, 330 at 24, 25 inches. <coughs> Excuse me. I hope that helps. Yes, I've done quite a bit of work on 997 4S. Absolutely. With 4S and 2S as well, and uh, C2s as well. No, I do not have a 964 single turbo kit. I made one bespoke, a couple bespoke, I want to say one. I made a couple bespoke, one for a narrow body, one for a wide body, but nothing as a kit. I should have done that, but I made it individual for each customer. If you're local, we can make one for you as well. Okay, so how are we doing, Ari? Good, doing good. Good, good, good. Do you have another question from okay. Fox Design? Fox Design, I think you're still here. Okay, what's the craze on making power tuned on flex fuel E85? Ah. Isn't higher octane always better, especially with boosted applications, not to mention gummy residue and effects on ethanol? Okay, so there's a question there and a mis slight misunderstanding. So here's the thing with octane. When you're combusting fuel, you want to be able to combust it and have it ignite at the right time. The one way to put pre-ignition at bay, which is igniting at the wrong time, either due to compression, heat, a poor source of energy to ignite it, the one thing that we have to do is delay how the fuel burns. By delaying that, we have a great chance of reducing the chance of a pre-ignition event which you don't want to ignite when the piston's on its way up. That's what destroys rods, bearings, ring lines, you name it. And on the way down, makes things quite inefficient and can also hurt components as well. That's where the octane comes into place. Higher octane allows for an opportunity for a slight delay in ignition events. It's a slower burn. So, the slower burn is not the key advantage. The slower burn is a solution to prevent pre-ignition. So let's take a look at E85 as a fuel. By nature, it burns already slightly slower than standard petrol or gasoline. By nature, it runs much cooler, which once again, heat, high heat, that is not controlled can introduce pre-ignition, which can be quite damaging to an engine. In addition to that, the caloric content of ethanol, it's higher than gasoline. What does that mean? If you burn the same amount of air with gasoline versus the same amount of air with appropriate amount of ethanol, you make more heat with ethanol. And why is that an advantage? Because your internal combustion engine is a glorified heat exchanger. It's a glorified energy converter. When you take chemical energy from fuel and air and you ignite it, and you take that chemical engine and convert it to heat energy, that heat now does work on the piston and converts it to mechanical energy. So the way to make more power is you're creating more controlled heat. When you lose it to surroundings or lose it to other things, that's when your power is not as efficient. So that being said, there's an opportunity for us to do great things with using a fuel with a higher caloric content. So that being said, back to your E85. Because it's cost effective, because it has high caloric content, because it by nature burns slower than gasoline, even though the octane rating itself is not a high numerical value, all those things lend its way to keeping pre-ignition at bay. 
That's why you can get more power because of polar content. That's why you can run more boost than regular petrol without detonation. It's a fantastic fuel. And we had success with those from BP, from Ignite, from the pump, it all. What you want is consistency. That is very, very important. Thank you so much, Fox. I'm glad that you do. I'm here to help. So, Jeremiah is asking, can E85 go bad over time? What's the shelf life? It depends. One thing about any fuel with an OH radical, now I'm getting back into my chemistry stuff, any fuel that has an alcohol base is that it's hygroscopic, meaning that it has affinity for water. If you leave your E85 in an open container, just sitting out, it will absorb water and it won't be as viable. If it's in a sealed environment properly, and I'd even go the extra mile of elevating it off the floor with some wooden blocks or so on and so forth, even if it's a drum, it can last for years and years. Now, if you have a custom blend that has some oxygenates in them, those tend to evaporate. If it has any olefins in them, those tend to decompose. Then it's a bit of a challenge. And you want to keep it away from light as well. Keep it in a dark room, that's great. But if you are sealing your fuel properly, your E85 can last for a very long time. Even in your tank, if you don't have a big open gas tank and your cap open, you can leave it for quite a while without a challenge. So I hope that, that helps. Thanks so much, Rudy. I appreciate that. Oh, Jay, well, enjoy your afternoon. I try to do it at this time, Jay, so that you can be able to enjoy this during your lunch. But later on, I will upload to YouTube so you can watch, and we'll have an opportunity to also have it on a podcast via iTunes and also Anchor. So you have it on BC Motor Anchor channel and the BC Motor iTunes channel. You cannot miss it. Yes, absolutely, EB3. The Odyssey did get spanked because I didn't cheat. That's why. It got spanked very well for me running street tires, and I appreciate your very kind choice of words. Um, if I'm the type of person to cheat, then we wouldn't have that problem. But if I'm not, because I'm not, it's my fault for running street tires against other people running slicks because I listen to stuff. But I appreciate your joking and candor. Okay. Um, I would do that for you, JK. No problem whatsoever. My pleasure, Jay. Have a good afternoon. Okay. Yes, sorry. Al Fraser wants to know if you'll be working on a K24Z7 turbo kit anytime soon. Okay. He wants to know if I'm going to be working for a K24 turbo kit. I don't have one available. I do have a K24 in-house here where we made a custom kit. It was never my, in my action plan or desire to make a kit. But if there's demand, I'll be more than happy to do that. Thank you so much. Um, Julio, that's a very good question uh, a comment you made there um, Eric from Always Evolving great guy and he even said it himself he knows that's a lot um, well you know it doesn't matter Jay the thing is that I am and by the way to answer your question EP Mr. Joking um, it wasn't rigged bottom line it has to do with enthusiasts so if a network comes to me and wants me to do a show and they give me a set of instructions maybe as a scientist maybe it's my own characteristics as a human I will obey instructions, and I will do what I was told to do to make it fair. Never in a million years would a network come to me and say, bring a car out for a street shootout, run street tires, and I'll go and buy slicks. I would never do that. It's just my nature. So whether you like it or not, it's my nature. It's what I do. It's how I am, and what other people do, I have no control over it. And even when I showed up and saw that, I was a good sport and still gave it my best. So that's really good. Yes, absolutely, Diva. We've done quite a bit. So you may or may not know this, but it's on YouTube. Um, I was part of the team that had the first unveiling in the North America for the Civic Type R. Um, Honda, American Honda was kind enough to fly us out to the Miami um, Raceway last year to race six of them 
on the racetrack, so we had great experience with that, and I've had the opportunity to visit the uh, plant in, in the UK, which is very nice. So we have a great working relationship with, with Honda, and um, we've done a lot of testing with them. Right now, I don't have a Type R. I have a pretty big project I'm working on, but you never know what can happen. It's totally dependent on our interaction with American Honda to see if we'll have something that we'll build for them for any auto shows or whatnot. That hasn't come to our table yet. Hello, George, or Jorge, however you say it. Okay, yes, sorry. Next question from AJ. AJ, hopefully you're still here. Would it be possible to have a setup in which you have the efficient K24Z7 head paired to a different K-series block where you could bolt on an all-wheel drive transmission rather than having to go for a custom adapter plate? That's a great question, AJ. And the challenge is, hello, Omar. The challenge is the drive train, no, the valve train is quite different. The camshafts on the Z7 is much longer than the Legacy K-series. So can it be done? Yes, but not inexpensively. The bore spacing the same. The head start locations are very similar. The challenge is the end where the interaction occurs with the timing chain. Plus, on the Z7, the pickup is on the crankshaft. So there's no provisions for the acceptance of a pickup on the crankshaft on the snout end like the old legacy engines used to be. In my opinion, it would be a more straightforward application to make an adapter plate and more cost-effective than trying to find a very good solution for the longer camshaft and different valve train on the Z7 head. So I hope that helps. Alfie, no problem. Better late than never. Glad you can join us this afternoon, Alfie. I really appreciate your support and interaction on my feed. Thank you so much. Okay. We have a question from 2013 Kurt. 2013 Kurt has a question. Do you have any intentions on getting into the turbo diesel market? At this time, I do not have any intention for diesels yet. We have a lot on our plate. And for me to do that, I really would love to work with a manufacturer. Um, even Porsche is getting more into the diesel world. Am I able to say this? But Honda is doing quite a bit as well. So don't be surprised to see a lot of Honda diesel small displacement stuff coming. And we have a great relationship with them. Hello, Master. Thanks for joining us. Thank you so much. No problem. Good to join us this afternoon. So at this time, I don't have any plans. Um, yes. I would do another episode of Fastest Car. We actually, the guys from that production company, we've worked with them in the past with other shows, so that's good. Um, so for AM Infinity, um, Che, the one thing about that is that it's designed with the built-in controller to use a wideband. So whether you're E85 or not, you should, at a minimum, have the wideband sensor, which I believe it accepts the LSU 4.2. You should use that with the wideband extension and connect it and use it for feedback. It looks for that. It needs that. That's ideal. One thing I would recommend, whether you're going to run gasoline ever or not, is to have a flex fuel setup so you can constantly monitor what is going on. Hello, Arias. Thanks for joining us this afternoon. Oh, that would be great, AJ. I would love to see that as well. I have so much on my plate and so little time. So I um, hope that answers your question properly. Thank you so much. Okay. What else do we have, Ari? Another question from Gary. Yes, Gary. Another good question from you. What do you consider to be more important when building a high revving engine? Okay. Rod weight or yes. piston construction slash weight? The latter. So he's asking, um, and yes, it will accept the GM. Absolutely. Continental GM Flex Fair Center. That will work well. Um, so that being said, around long rod or piston construction, definitely piston construction. You know why? You can have a long rod and have all the advantages of less side loading, advantages of 
proper dwell at top dead center, good dwell at bottom dead center, bottom dead center, to help with flow, to help ingestion, to help things flow out during overlap, especially when you're TDC. But a poor piston will hurt things very poorly. Badly will hurt things. If you have a proper construction, a proper lightweight piston, you can get away with a short rod. There is a correlation between cross-sectional area of head flow and a rod, and rod length, I should say, which is very, very nice. So sometimes with big ports, you want a shorter rod. But the one thing that a lot of people tend to wrap their head around as time progressed, especially in the late 60s, where they saw this crazy correlation between piston speeds and rod ratio, a lot of that had to do with the construction, technology, and weight of the piston, especially when it had to do with distance from centerline. The lighter a piston and the better design, you can get away with murder. You can, get away, you can go down to rod ratios of 1.3 with our challenges. I've tested them. We've had great success, even with short rods, but the key was the piston construction had to be superb and the pistons had to be lightweight. So yes, if I had to choose one or the other, a lightweight, well-designed piston. And my choice of piston, Trom, that's what I use. Great, great guys. Okay, what else do we have? We have a question from Leo. Leo! He wants to know if his 2004 Odyssey can use the Honda Carb Flash Pro. The website is saying 2006 and up only. Yes, um, unfortunately, you cannot. So there's a lot that goes on with flashing ECUs, and it has to do with the parcels inside the ECU itself. And if there's not one which they don't have designed for that year, there's nothing available. You could write to them, nudge them a little bit. They're very responsive. And if you don't get a good uh, response from them, which I'd be surprised, um, you can hit up our friends from KTuner, and they may be able to help you out as well. So I hope that helps. Oh, thank you, Nick. I hope you liked it. Thank you so much. Hey, Leo. Good to see you again. Good seeing you. Okay, how are we doing so far? We're doing great. Beautiful. Okay, questions? more questions for you, because I promise to get to all the questions on Instagram. So, what are questions do we have, Ari? A question from Blake Howard Williams. Blake Howard Williams. Hopefully you're here with us this afternoon. He wants to know how much experience do you have with MR2s? Would you tune the GSGTE? Yes and yes. I've had quite a bit of experience with MR2s. Everything from a standard 260 horsepower one to a high horsepower, large turbo 700 horsepower. Everything from E85 to even a Series 1 ECU road race car with factory petrol or 91 pump and a large tank of water methanol. So I don't know if Robert Bowden is still here, but hey, he brought one here with Jer Jeremy. Um, Jeremy is uh, affiliated with NASA and he lives in Vegas now. They brought a very nice one there, here at the facility for us to tune. So yes, I have a ton of it. And typically the customers come here with AM EMSs. So yes, we had great experience with it. And we've seen great success with those engines. They're very nice. I love mid-engine Toyotas. They're really nice. A lot of fun. This question comes from Speedy Gonzalez. Speedy Gonzalez. I like your name <laughs> if you're here with us this afternoon. I think Honda should have put a high-performance V6 in the S2000s from the beginning. What about you? I feel it's possible to finally control our engines with the way cams, turbos, and electronic throttles work. Do you have any ideas about this? Um, like you could almost program the power band any way that you want. I feel your pain. As a fellow enthusiast, I'd love to see a V8, inline six, a V6, something Honda with more cylinders in the S3000. I agree with you. But look at what they have to do. Think about it. As a manufacturer, they have to build cars that appeal to a wide audience of people. They also had this great mindset to be able to create an engine that was extremely efficient. If you remember before Ferrari came along with their newer engine, the S2000 was the highest horsepower per liter engine that was commercially available at the time. And that's something that Honda was very pleased with and hung their hat on. 
A lot of technology and research went into the exhaust manifold, which is superb. The best header system I've ever seen from factory is, was on the S2000F20C. And look at the shifter on that, absolutely superb. So even though you and I would love to see a V6 in that, and that can still happen, hint, hint, the majority of, in, of people who bought the S2000 really didn't mind having an inline four that was high revving. So that being said, I feel your pain absolutely. So let's take it back to the second part of your question around having much control of the engine and being able to control it all throughout the power band. That is already happening. That's already happening. You know where manufacturers are not incorporating EVs or EV technology into petrol engines? You know how Mazda's coming back with a Wankel but also incorporating it with an integrated motor assist from an electric motor? That is what's happening already. So it's happening where you can have immediate torque at one RPM from the electric motor and making things more fun and more efficient. So it's already happening. So thank you so much. Hey, Michelle, thanks for joining us this afternoon. Hope you're feeling great. Um, today, I drove a 2017 Hyundai Ioniq. Speaking of hybrids and electric technology, it's a vehicle that has great human interface that we play with quite a bit, and we did a lot to the aero package to improve significantly the mile per gallon on it, which is great. So thank you so much. Okay. So Ari, what are the questions that we have? How are we doing so far? We have two more questions. Two more questions, and I'll be able to answer all your questions here, guys. Our okay. last question from Gary. Gary? Do you use any knock detection equipment when oh. tuning? If so, what equipment do you use? I try some electronic systems without much luck and keep reverting back to my 3M ear defenders with some copper tube. I am a huge advocate of knock tuning. And since I love the AM Infinity and I use the AM Series 2, I even, I, anytime I can get a knock sensor, I use it. So I do a digital capturing of it. It allows me to do wonderful things. So the one thing about doing things physically is that sometimes you catch it too late. And what I do when I tune is, I can do a partial throttle sweep, see where the knock floor is, create a unique knock curve to that, put in a fail safe, and then continue my tune. And that allows me to automatically retard timing, and add fuel to keep the engine safe if I'm not able to catch knock when it happens during a tuning session. So I can do that very, very nicely with AM Infinity. And the great thing about AM Infinity allows me to, and I can do that on Series 2 as well, it allows me to really hone and fine-tune the frequency and also the thresholds so I can be able to differentiate between knock and noise. Listening to it is great, but it's a bit crude. I use technology to my advantage. And the one way to have a very good fail-safe is, once again, to be able to have a nice sweep with no noise and use as a knock floor. Slightly above that, 10 to 15% above that. And if you have any noise, you can capture it, and the EC will do its job in keeping your engine safe. Um, snack nose right here, because it's so viable, because it's a factory metal snap nose, and extremely viable, AJ, I haven't done anything but a BC motor pulse chamber. That is it. So it has that nice, race-inspired, deep tone, no drone. Gives me a nice 14 wheel horsepower plus, but I didn't touch anything. Even the interior is the original interior in that thing. It's great. It's great. Okay, what else do we have, Ari? We have one last question from our customer. It was an email. Okay. He wants to know if there's a certain compression piston that he needs to run with boost on 91 pump gas. That's a great question. So he's asking, customer called in, called in or wrote in? Uh, emailed us. Emailed us, emailed us, which is fine as well. Is there some compression ratio? that has to be used with boost, or that's safe for boost on 91. There are so many variables, and you know why there are variables? 
because your turbo size, your turbocharger size is one variable, the camshaft is another variable, and also, if you think about it, the flow of your head, all that affects the capability of an engine. You can have a D-series of 9 to 1 compression with a small turbo at 21 PSI, and you can experience knock on 91. You can have a higher compression, 11.8 to 1, S2000 engine, nice flow with a 72 millimeter turbo, make 400, 500 horsepower on 91, and not experience knock. So there are too many variables. So the thing is that your component choice, camshaft, turbo size, boost level, those things affect what you can get away with in terms of safety with 91. Not necessarily a blanket compression ratio, especially when you talk about static compression ratios. You can have a small displacement, 9 to 1, 8 to 1, a Porsche with 7.5 to 1, that can max out a certain level with 91 much easier, especially in horsepower, or you can have a very efficient F20C with high compression. So a combination of the two is what really determines how much success you can have with that. I hope that helps. Too many variables, boost is one, turbo size is another, and a camshaft you're running. A bigger camshaft, you can get away with more because your dynamic is lower. A smaller camshaft will ping much sooner and much easier. You can have a challenge. I know, you guys have so much 91 octane, we don't have that. Oh, thank you, Insta. Thank you for recognizing that. Thank you so much. So I appreciate that. Yeah, earlier on, um, one of you mentioned about a public service announcement <laughs> in regard to the fastest car thing. No, it's okay. Those enthusiasts can see what I ran, the tires I had on. It's no challenge. I had a good time. No matter what, I had a good time. And I appreciate all your empathy and your kind words as well. Oh, well, there's so much. So one thing I can tell you um, in terms of WBOY89 is to not only partner with people who are very, well, first, you can listen to my podcast and see what's going on and even come on my YouTube channel and see what's going on as well. But there's some books that were very, very good to me. And I mentioned one last week, which was David Bizarre, um, How to Build Horsepower, Volume 1 and Volume 2. Um, Smokey Eunuch has another very good book. A lot of domestic stuff, but it roots you in a very easy, understandable way of how to modify engines, even though it's geared more towards domestics. So that being said, that is another book that's very, very nice. Um, forms are great places for information, but I can also warn you, a huge place for misinformation. A lot of people who are hardworking out there, engineers like John Consiali from AEM, um, engineers like uh, Jim Kinsler, they don't, they're so busy, they don't have time to go on forums. Most people who have a lot of time to go on there really don't do much of any R&D, because if they were, they'd be busy doing that, not on forums. So, I'll tend to ask you not to pay too much attention to those sources, but finding reputable shops, reputable builders, and also reading these books can help you tremendously. When I talk about the 996 Porsche, Jay says, what model am I referring to? Manual? I'm really interested in one after listening to you. What do you have to say about them? All-wheel drive, reliable turbos, a wonderful thing. So when I'm talking about the most undervalued, underrated Porsche supercar, it's the 996 Turbo. You can see those from 2001. Um, up until 2005, they are beautiful. They, even if you compare to the base Carrera, the interior is vastly superior. The gearbox is very robust. There's some things that you can do to really make it extremely reliable. Um, the one thing that happens after a few years is that there's a press-in um, water uh, pipe that goes right over, I believe is the passenger side um, head, that can slide out 
and dump water onto your rear tire. So most people tend to pin that. It's a very common upgrade to do. After that, it's pretty straightforward. It's a very robust car. It's fantastic. Yeah, it's starting to go up. You know what? Rich, you're right. <laughs> I said the secret sour. Why should I share that? <laughs> Rich, you're right. There was a time these cars were going for, I saw one for $23,000. $23,000 low miles. Can't do that anymore. So that being said, they're, they're, they're great cars. They really are. So it's really good. So just do that. Um, upgrade your clutch. Pin the, uh, the water channel and you're good to go. Um, okay, so I think Fish still owns it. So he is the proprietor for Risky Devil's drift team, and he's based in Chicago, Illinois. I think he still has that car in Stella. He's asking uh, who owns the car for Need for Speed, and if he sold it, I am not aware of that. Um, the 944NA is a vehicle that really Porsche thought for a moment would replace the 911. It's a great, nice car, front engine, large aluminum engine, rear-wheel drive, very balanced car, very nice but it just wasn't very well embraced by the performance community. Since I haven't played with it, I'm very limited to the potential of that setup. Yeah, I'm not familiar with that starter issue, Alfie. Oh, thank you so much, Augustine, appreciate that. Yeah, I had, I had a 996 Turbo for quite a while, but I, I had a pretty robust starter, it was pretty good. Anyway, you're probably correct. Would I, re I don't know who that is, any DA. I have no idea who that is. But if I ever do any kind of racing with my Odyssey, um, I definitely will slip down next time, which is pretty good. Uh -huh. Sorry about the secret thing. Yeah, AJ, you're actually correct about the forums. Thank you so much. I'm just trying to see what questions I may have missed here. Ah. So um, for EcoBoost Ford, um, we are starting a very good relationship with the guys from Mountain. So stay tuned. We may have something very, very nice coming up soon. Oh, Andy, I didn't know that the, um, that was 225 CFM. I, I, what, I wonder what depression of that is. I really do. Oh, that's actually, you know what? Yeah, it is better, AJ. <laughs> it is better. <laughs> the, the ports are pretty superior. Where the Lambda Race Supreme is an intake manifold. The intake manifold flows more than that of M96, but definitely that's the case. Um, the head itself, sans intake manifold, flows better than M96 and M97s. Um, yes, I plan on coming out there. I won't be bringing the car out, but I'll be there in Torrance. So, Asmit, if you're there, I will see you there. Hello, Kevin. Thank you so much for joining us this afternoon. Appreciate that. Yes, M96 and M97. Or M97. Porsche tuning. I didn't quite get your question, Alfie. Ask me again. I'm waiting for one. I like those cars a lot, Gary. Um, I was just at Turbinex yesterday and talking to the COO there about his Golf R. So he wants us to play with his. I really like the Golf R. It is like, talk about sleeper. That thing looks like just a plain golf four-door, and you can make 700 horsepower on the factory block casing. Iron block, just upgrading rods and pistons and putting a nice turbo and tuning. It's awesome. Thank you. I, I think I will make these. I think I will make these available, by all means. Okay, so before I let you guys go, I have a question here. So for the winner of this, 
AJ, I know you're just waiting for this. I don't want to ship something to you today. <laughs> okay, so for the winner of this nice blue, my favorite color, blue Civic Type R, how was just came in, hot off the press, hitting stores now. I have a question, and it's about today. How much horsepower did my BC Moto Waggle Van make? How much horsepower to the wheels did it make? The first person to answer that question, I'll be able to ship this to you directly. And I'll sign it for you too. Not 1270, nope. Not 675, nope. <gasps> Motorsports Detailing got it. <laughs> Motorsports Detailing, 724. Gary Hunt got it first. Oh, I see Motorsports Detailing first. Ah, okay. So Motorsports Detailing, thank you so much. Go ahead and PM me your address. <laughs> AJ said next person can have it. <laughs> AJ, what I see here is definitely Motorsports Detailing. So Motorsports Detailing, email me your, oh no, actually, DM me or email, email me. Sales at bcmo.com, email me your email address, I mean your shipping address, and I'll send this out to you. So thank you so much. Oh, Dan, thank you. Good choice. But uh, no, she didn't make that much on the 1.6 liter. Yeah, it wasn't. It's <laughs> 724. Uh, on a 1.6 liter. A billion horsepower. I'm good, but I'm not that good, Augustine. <laughs> thank you so much. So, guys, thank you so much for joining us this afternoon. Um, that being said, I really appreciate your interaction this afternoon and being with us. Please, by all means, um, provide us some of the feedback on how we did today. I'll upload this later on on YouTube. I will also have it available via podcast on iTunes and Anchor under BC Moto. So thank you so much, guys. Stay tuned. And I will talk to you next week, Tuesday. Have a great one, guys. Take care. Cheers.